In warning about the heat, President Obama praises eight-year-old who left cold drinks for his letter carrier. Great story about a little guy named Carmine McDaniel. He wanted to make sure that his neighborhood mail carrier was well cared for during this heat wave back in 2016. So with his parents' help, he left a, a little cooler on the, the front stoops that had bottles of nice icy water and some Gatorade. Well, uh, one of those, uh, those uh, devices that you use for a uh, doorbell that also has a camera in it caught the following scene. The, the mail carrier comes laboring up the walk and, and uh, begins to put the mail in the mailbox when he sees the cooler with a little note on it for the, for the postman. So he opens it up and he says this, Oh man, water and Gatorade, thank you God, thank you. Carmen's mom says that uh, Carmine feels that it's his duty to supply the mailman with a cool beverage, even if we're not home. Our Lord says that he is our strength and our shield. In him our hearts trust, and I am helped. Our hearts exalt him, and with our songs we give thanks to him. See, God often sends vertical help by horizontal means. Put another way, he sends us what we need through the work of another. When we trust in him for what we need, we learn, as the psalmist did, the secret of true contentment. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. We'll read uh, the first 11 verses of that chapter. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit. Very large crowds spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we love this time of year, not only spring, Lord, but also Reminders of what you have done for us, bringing us from the winter of our souls, the darkness that pervades this sinful world, and gave us light, and light everlasting. Lord, as we think about these things this morning, we pray that you would be with us, you would soften our hearts and open our minds, that we may understand this great, incredible gift, and appreciate it more, Lord, and come to love you better. 
These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem during the Feast of Passover. The place would have been hustling and bustling. Crowds and crowds of people all there to celebrate the Passover. And they would have been full of the spirit of that holiday. Excited, uh, happy to see friends, looking forward to you know, being off work and celebrating, eating good food, etc. Uh, all part of the, the festive spirit of the moment. And then Jesus shows up. Of course, they all knew who he was by now. He had been uh, healing people, uh, doing signs and wonders, walking on water, calming seas, etc. They'd heard of him and the wondrous things that he had been doing. So they welcomed him in the spirit of the moment, which was joyous, exuberant expression of great expectation. The crowds thought that Jesus would do lots of stuff for them, that he would give them stuff. Of course, uh, John chapter 2, he writes, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. People thought that they would uh, get dinner from Jesus. They were looking forward to being fed by him as he had fed the crowds at the Galilee. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Some people, no doubt, were expecting Jesus to take over. John 6, 14, 15, we read, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus was able to, to recognize the shallowness of the desire that people had for him. It was all surface stuff. They wanted food, they wanted things. But Jesus didn't want to be just popular with people. He didn't want to be a political figure who would chase the Romans away and make Israel great again. He didn't want to be a genie granting wishes. Jesus turned away from all those things because Jesus had come to earth to save those very people from what traitors and rebels get for their attitudes and actions, which is death. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's Jesus' mission. And Jesus was always intent on completing his mission. And upon his last visit to Jerusalem for that Passover, that's what he will do. And when Jesus finished saying these things to his disciples, he said to them, You know that after two days the Passover is coming. 
and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus remembered. He knew what was coming, even if his disciples couldn't wrap their heads around it. Things that would be unthinkable to the crowd that welcomed him on that day. But still, Jesus was about the mission, so he was intent, he was intentional about doing things that would define him in his terms and not the terms of the people. And yet these terms that he presented about himself were all meant to underline who he is and what he has come to do. He comes riding on a donkey. As we all know, that represents a king coming to his people in peace and gentleness, riding on a donkey, not on a war horse, armored and ready for battle, but on a donkey. The expectation is that our king will come and do good things for us. And indeed, Jesus intended to do very good things for his people. They sing Hosanna. They sing Hosanna to the son of David, which is like saying, save us or save now. The crowds chant over and over again, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now in the highest heaven, they shout. Of course, these are all the Hillel Psalms from 113 to 118, a series of Psalms that are all about praise. You know, the word Hillel uh, is the first part of hallelujah. It means praise Yahweh, praise God. So here in this passage, the people are chanting, save, save, praise, praise. Of course, they mean one thing. Jesus knows what they should be singing about. They throw their clothes on the ground. They bring palm fronds and spread them. Uh, sort of a red carpet, if you will, welcoming a dignitary or, in, in their own vernacular, a monarch. All these are expressions of exuberance, of religious enthusiasm, exclamations and actions which would come naturally to a crowd hyped up on Passover expectations. They were like Americans when the Olympic team walks into the stadium, USA, USA, USA. Or when uh, the Australian rugby team wins, right? Overcomes the, uh, the All Blacks, if you will. And they go, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. In, in great enthusiasm, you know, and you can see their heads blowing up and they're tearing their clothes. They're excited. Or, or like when the Lanesville softball team walks on the diamond. <laughs> oh, see, see, uh, oh, see, see, uh, over and over. You can hear it now in our ears. It's in, it's in that flavor, that spirit, if you will, that the, the crowds are shouting these things to Jesus. They know who he is. They know what he can do. They're excited to see him. And in the religious fervor of that moment, they sort of go off the deep end. With mixed emotions and intentions, the ox lost, the crowd, cheer and are happy that Jesus has come for all the wrong reasons. But Jesus listens to their superficial demands and he says to them, okay, I will. I will be your king, Jesus says. I will provide reconciliation to the Father. 
I will make you the temple of the living God. Jesus says, I will sustain you in peace, in purpose, and in fellowship forever. And in the name of the Lord, I will be blessed. And that blessing will extend to all my people. Jesus is acting in prophecy. He is delivering the goods promised by God. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal, the power, the termination of God, the Lord of hosts, will do this. So Jesus takes this welcome in Jerusalem as his welcome to the kingship of God's people. But you might ask yourself, how does the victorious, covenant-fulfilling work of God come about in this instance? What are the people expecting? How does God come to the rescue of his sin-warped and powerless people who think they're all right, they got it all, they are Jews, they live in Jerusalem? What could be better than that? By what way do the Lord's people enter into a non-contributory salvation? That means they're bringing nothing to the table except their need. And they cannot fulfill it. They are weak and unable. Well, this passage from Isaiah says it all. It's about the king coming. Kings classically do those things for their people. They provide peace Prosperity for their people. You know, in a worldly sense, we think of economies, right? We think of, uh, we think of organization, administration, etc., etc. But in God's realm, it means a different thing. It means eternal, perfect provision for all, not that what you want, but what you need. You see, Jesus has come to meet the needs of his people and not their wants. So the emphasis here is, is not on the us part, but on the child is born part. Jesus is a child. He is of human descent. Got here the same way we all do. He is a son. That means his eligibility and the dignity is royal. He is the son of kings, the descendant of kings. He is born of human parentage, but also he is given by God. His people's labored and heavily laden shoulders will be delivered when his shoulders accept the burden of salvation and sovereignty for his people. In its highest sense, name in ancient Near Eastern literature, it sums up the character so when you have a good name, it's because your character is good. 
It's descriptive, it's declarative. The name means the person. It declares who that person is. So the perfection of this king, born and given, of royal descent, is seen in what he is called. And he is called Wonderful Counselor. That is to say, his qualification for ruling is superb, it is perfect. He is called Mighty God because of his power and his person. This king is like no other. He is an everlasting father. That is to say, his relationship to his subjects will never end. It's like in the United States, every once in a while, we get a good president, right? We get a good one. And we all want to keep him. But the Constitution says no, two terms. Oh, nuts. So we go then to find another one, right? Another good president. And it'll be two or three or four presidents before we get another good one. Then we get that one. We're going to keep them. But the uh, Constitution says no. So it goes on planet Earth. But in God's economy, he delivers a perfect king that will be our king and care for us in sovereign power forever. Everlasting father and prince of peace. This is about the society his rule creates. This isn't just a a body politic here. It is a blessed, transformed, purified, perfect people. And they weren't that way to start with. The king will make them that way by the work that he performs. That's why it's kind of ironic that the people are welcoming in, they don't even know. You know, they'll settle for a politician. They'll settle for a genie who gives them stuff, right? But Jesus has so much more. The God of the fathers of Israel has so much more for them. Jesus takes their their so-so welcome as, okay, you know, you've asked, I'm going to deliver. But I'm not going to deliver to your wants. I'm going to deliver to your needs. And I see how needy you are. He just wept over them. Seeing them on the Mount of Olives and looking over that city, he wept for them because they had no idea the trouble they're in. And they had no idea what it would cost to save them. But Jesus had come for that very purpose, to deliver. This prince then himself, perfect and whole, at one with God and with his people, administers the benefits of peace and wholeness in his benign rule. This rule, however, will be unchanging in its character of peace. It will be without end in space and time, forever, in other words. The fulfillment of the Davidic ideal reflecting the holiness of God in its devotion to justice, in practice and righteousness in principle. Guaranteed by the compassionate commitment, and sovereign activity of the Lord. It is the Lord who plans the future, shatters the foe, and keeps his promises. Jesus has come to keep the promises. Psalm 2, 6 through 8. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decrees the Lord has said to me, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. 
from John chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Let's pray. 